the recording that's coming up, it's pre-recorded. You know, I, I spoke it into my phone a few mornings ago. Uh, the recording that's coming up uh, describes a lucid dream I had had minutes prior, as far as I know, uh, to speaking the recording. Uh, now, um, a lucid dream is a dream uh, within which you know you're dreaming. Now, as I think about that now, I imagine that um, there are all different levels of lucid dream. Okay, I imagine, well, at one end of the spectrum, uh, you would have well, dreams that are only 0.1% lucid, you know. You know um, well, obviously there's, uh, well, if you want to go the full spectrum. Um, at one end of the spectrum, um, you have 0% lucid. Yeah. And they're just normal dreams where you're not aware that they're a dream. And um, and in the middle, you know, you've got those sorts of dreams where you wake up later and you sort of think, I think I was aware that I was in a dream during that dream, but I'm not sure, you know. And then um, and right at the other end, you have um, you have the sort of dream where you're in the dream and you are speaking to yourself and telling yourself that you're dreaming this and oh wow, you're creating this whole world that is before you and you're interacting with people in the dream and uh, you are aware, you are not just aware that you're creating this, um, this world, you know, in front of you, which is real, you know, as far as you're concerned, you're in it, you're walking in there and you're feeling the breeze and all that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, you're, there's a dialogue within the dream occurring in your head, you know, and you're speaking to yourself and you're saying, wow, this is a dream. I'm creating all this, you know. Um, but at the same time, and we are talking 100% lucid here, I think... You know, you don't have to believe me. Actually, I'd be very disappointed in you, <laughs> listener, if um, if you if, if you're the sort of person who listens to um, uh, episodes like this, you know, which just you know, which or well, this one is me describing a lucid dream I've had, and you say, "Wow, I'm convinced." You know, I would lose all respect for you if you were that sort of person. Uh, you should only, you know truly believe in lucid dreams if you've never had one before um, once you've had one yourself you know um, and, and this is where I part ways with your average preacher you know like if I if I meet you and I want to convince you for example you know, that um, that you should vote labor at the next election uh, um, and no that's a bad one um, you know I was about to say and, and then I convince you fully yeah, that would just make you pliable, I suppose. Uh, let me think. Um, yeah, well, if I um, if 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 I met you, and I wanted to convince you that uh, God spoke to me last night in a dream, yeah, and told me to go and kill all the English, you know, something like Joan of Arc. Now, if um, if I was able to convince you of that. Uh, I 
would lose all respect for you. Uh, let's say I was a Bible basher in the nicest possible way, and I convinced you, and I, and I became, somehow I became, uh, you know, convinced, or even more than that, um, I, uh, I came to the knowledge, <laughs> yeah, in my own head, you know, um, that Jesus once upon a time did turn water into wine. I don't know via what mechanism people can know that, but let's just imagine there is a mechanism via which people can know that, you know, that water was turned into wine once upon a time by Jesus, you know, let's just, you know, because, um, you know, we're, we're from the school of Socrates, you know, we can entertain things, ideas that we don't necessarily believe in, you know, we have the sophistication of mind to be able to do that, don't we, <laughs> you and I, um, you know, so we can entertain the idea without actually thinking it's true, all right, so let's entertain the idea that somehow I come across what is in my mind certainty and knowledge that Jesus once upon a time called, uh, turned water into wine and then I go out for a coffee with you and I convince you of that. Well, at that moment in time, you know, I've still got respect for myself because somehow I came across that knowledge you know, and, it, it, and it is a matter of certainty for me. Uh, but I would lose all respect for you, you know. And this is where I think, you know, this is my zen. I'm different than a pre from a preacher. I'm a different kettle of fish uh, than a, uh, a preacher is. Uh, because a preacher takes you out for a coffee or, you know, drags you into church and gains respect for you if he is able to, or she is able to, convince you of you know, miracles he or she is describing, you know. Um, Whereas I would be disappointed in you and lose respect for you. you know? There's a difference. Anyway, I'm about to talk about a lucid dream um, into, uh, yeah, in, in a pre-recorded piece of audio. And in that, yes, I came by the knowledge that um, lucid dreams exist. If you've never had one, um, please don't believe they exist. You know, just, just believe that I believe they exist. That's enough. You know? Um, no, you know. Um, or, you know... <laughs> Even be sceptical of that, you know. It's not a bad way. It's not a mean way to live. It's not a, oh, I'm always sceptical, you know. It's actually fresh, you know. Scepticism is a fresh way of living and thinking, you know. It's it's fun. It's enjoyable. People say, oh, you are so, you know, you are so um, sceptical all the time. That must be a hard way to live, you know, never having faith. I say, no, nah, it's great. It's, it's actually a really... You know, have you listened to my last 150 episodes? I'm entirely sceptical and I'm loving life. It's clear I couldn't have been banging it on for the last year that I've been talking, speaking this podcast. You couldn't be banging all that on. In fact, um, it's a little bit more uptight to have faith, in my opinion, most of the time. It's a lot more fresh, loosey-goosey, fun, um, lively, enjoyable... Um, to be sceptical of everything, everything, you know, until you experience it yourself. You know, you have these little levels, you know, just like I've got levels of lucid dream and, um, you know, one where you think you had a lucid dream, but, you know, to one where you, yourself, um, are in the knowledge that you had a lucid dream and I had such a lucid dream and here it comes, it's pre-recorded and um, I had some fun with it. I want to speak this into a podcast before I wake up properly, but I just had a confirmed lucid dream. Uh, 
it was a series of dreams that went forever. It was fantastic. But the last bit, I was walking up a hill. Uh, it was uh, I was in Australia, Australian scene. Uh, but there were people from everywhere, all sorts of people. It's almost like a circus. Um, and I also had music happening on my phone, which I, you know, I listened to classical music all night. But I was listening to the music, but I was, I was walking up a hill and there were people everywhere. And uh, I looked up in the sky and there was, it was a blue sky with white clouds and I saw a seagull and I was just saying to myself, it feels so real. And what I was saying um, was, it just feels, I could feel the breeze. And I was extru- I was trying to take it all in, all the people. I was just staring at everyone because I knew it was a dream because I was listening to the music as well. And I knew that I was listening to my phone in my bed. And I was looking at everybody and, you know, people, everyone was pretty happy and want, everyone, I don't know where everyone was going, but they were all over the place, you know. Um, yeah, and I was out in the country um, and there was a track and there's a gate. It was up near Belgrave somewhere. Um, and there would have been thousands of people and there was a couple of people kicking a footy. There was someone who kicked the footy in a strange way and I thought he must be an American. Um, and I was very conscious that I was... Well, what I was saying is this is all a dream, but I was almost experimenting. I want to take it all in, I was thinking to myself. And I was looking in the faces of people walking past a bloke with a strange black bowler hat, type of bowler hat, um, smiled at me. I smiled back and I was thinking and I actually thought to myself, I'm creating all of you. I'm making all of you. And that seagull, uh, I looked up and I said, I even made you and you're so far away because of miles away. It was, I was looking up the hill and it was, you know, it was way up in the sky, but miles away. And I said, I even, you know, brought it, I didn't say brought it into existence, but I even created a seagull all the way up there and that seagull doesn't even, doesn't even know I'm here and I made it, you know. So this was a lucid dream, very much officially, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, people would, I think they were generally uh, wandering in a certain direction, uh, but they were milling around at the same time. Uh, what else did I see? Um, yeah, there was the that bloke kicked a footy. What he did, he threw it up slightly and then kicked it. It wasn't a very good kick. But then um, there was another bloke who had a footy and he just kicked it normally. But everyone was um, strangely detached, definitely. They were just wandering around, all in a good mood, and not going anywhere or doing anything, you know. It wasn't exactly like a circus because there was no circus there. Um, but... You know, they were just... And I was walking up the hill slowly. I did get to the top of the hill. Now, I'll probably forget it now because dreams disappear quickly. Um, I haven't officially... You know, I'm not supposed to be awake yet. It's too early. Um, 
So I was up on top of the hill, and there was a tree there, I remember that much. And I'll let that go, and it's about all. Yeah, that's all. Now, before that I had, I was in proper dreams. But that was the bit where I, I knew I was in a lucid dream. Uh, because I was also listening to the music. And I was, and I was thinking about the fact that I'm listening to music on my phone at the same time. That's how I knew it was a lucid dream. And then when I woke up, I checked what the music was, just for the for the experiment, and it was Vivaldi, because I had classical music for reading, you know, which I reasoned last night was could double as classical music for sleeping. Um, so I checked my phone. It was a Vivaldi variation, arranged for piano. Okay, so there's that really nice, but I don't know which variation it was, so I'll never find it again. Um, what else? Okay, now other things happened, lots of things, you know. Um, yeah, I won't describe one, but there were some bizarre things happened. I was in a big house and all this sort of stuff. I, I look at one stage, I had a, my car key and... My car had broken down earlier. I was on the Westgate Bridge a lot. Oh, just a minute. And that was my son interrupting me. And I had to stop the audio. Uh, but, and unfortunately, all my dreams will go flying out of my head if I'm not quick. But I was on Westgate Bridge. Um, and my car broke down at the toll booth, which which is really interesting because we haven't had toll booths on the Westgate Bridge for many, many years. Um, I don't know when the toll booths came off the Westgate Bridge. It might have been 20 years ago. Uh, so, um, and I somehow ended up in a service station trying to arrange for my car to be fixed, but then someone gave me a lift. And I ended up back on the Westgate Bridge, going the other way, in someone else's car. It was just some bloke, you know, um, who at some stages I knew and some stages I didn't. But sudden, suddenly I realised we were going against the traffic and he was flying like 100 kilometres per hour and all, all the other cars were going 100 kilometres per hour towards us. And we were going in between the cars. And then we ended up in the left lane and suddenly a car was coming straight for us. Um, now, strangely, as I, you know, as I was thinking about it, um, we were in the left-hand side of the bridge, and all the other cars were coming for us. Um, but um, you know, that would almost indicate we were in America, because. We, but I think that's a non-detail. Anyway, there was a car coming straight for us, and I. I think it was a white Cortina or something. So it's almost like I'm in a, in the old days. And I do remember an LTD or something coming towards us. And they were just rushing past us. But it was all silent. Uh, except him talking. And he was just chatting to me just normally. Um, uh, he, um, if I didn't know better, it was someone like Skeeter. Don't worry about who that was from a long time ago. Um, and... Uh, and Skeeter and I were down in that area once, um, and 
we hopped on to just, and this is in real life, we, um, we were only 20-something, and, you know, when you try things when you're young, and we actually, he and I went and parked down in Port Melbourne, and we saw a, a ship, a great big container ship, with, with its little ladder, with its little staircase, it was a staircase, um, open all the way down to the dock, and we, Skeeter and I, I said, do you want to climb up and have a look, and he was summoning an R-ing, you know, and I actually went up there, and this is in real life, to have a look on this container ship, and Skeeter stayed back, he didn't dare, and I got to the top, and I looked on the decking, there's absolutely nobody there. It's empty. Then I came back down again. Um, but later, I thought that was a bit too daring, really, because someone could have grabbed me and um, and taken me aboard, and then you know eventually the ship could have taken off. You know, this is all in real life. Anyway, putting that aside, um, I was going up the freeway. I've got to get onto this train that I was on up in Belgrave. And also Nicole and I were on a train trying to get back to the city and I had to get back to Essendon. Uh, there was an endless series of train trips. Uh, trains, crazy sorts of trains. You know, not normal trains that I'm used to. Uh, and even when that... Oh, I've got to get back to that Kia. Uh, that, I had the Kia. Key as well. Um, anyway, we're going against... And going against the traffic... At 100 kilometers down, there's this huge collision. But what happened was um, we hit the car, but it was like a um, at the show. Um, we were pushing it. It was coming towards us at 100 kilometers per hour. And we were going about 100 kilometers per hour, so it just flew up to us about 200 kilometers per, 200 kilometers per hour. But then suddenly we, we didn't slow down at all, and we were pushing it, and it was going in the other direction. And at that instant in time, I, instant in time, you know, like we were just pushing this car and he was just chatting, this other guy. And, um, and I reasoned that everyone in that car was dead now because they'd gone from, because I've just been doing episodes on quantum uh, physics in this podcast and... Um, and what I was doing there was that Cortina or whatever it was, was white. Everyone in the car had been doing 100 kilometres an hour in one direction and suddenly they were doing 100 kilometres an hour in another direction without damaging the car at all. We were just pushing it. And I figured they had just pulled infinite Gs. I didn't, I didn't think infinite Gs in my dream, but that's what I've been talking about. Instantaneously, they switched direction, switched speed, you know. And so I reasoned that everyone in that car was dead, but we were just pushing it along anyway. And then that just sort of disappeared out of the picture. And then we were parked. Um, we got to the end of the Westgate Bridge and we were in the city. And um, we were parked. I could go into the detail of this. And I knew that, you know, there was going to be murder charges and all sorts of dramas happening, you know. I was passive in the whole thing, but I knew I'd be dragged into it. And then I was thinking about my kids and all that sort of stuff. 
I was trying to gather up my papers. I had my taxes and all sorts of things. I was trying to gather up and it was all a mess. I was trying to get it organised and I thought to myself, well, um, you know, the cops will end up, you know, I'll end up having to go through all this saga. And, and uh, Nicole, I knew, was in the city and working and the kids and all that sort of thing. I said, well, there's nothing I can do about it, but I'll just go along. But I, I, I don't want to sort of stay here. Um, I'll go home and I'll sort things out. Anyway, it was taking ages just trying to pack up all my papers and all that sort of stuff. And I, I knew I should be going, but I, I seemed to be still packing up the papers. And... Um, somehow at another stage. So I lost my car, basically. But I still had my key. Now, I don't know how it tied in, but I was back at that scene where I walked up that hill. And when I walked up that hill, I went into someone's house. Someone's house. Um, and there was a family. I won't name the family. I know who they are. And they were all in the front room. And I poked my head in. And this is when it was getting a lot more lucid. You know, it wasn't lucid just here, but... I said, hello, everyone. Um, and, so, and one person said, hi. And I said, this is weird. You know, it's a heavily decorated room. Um, yeah, um, we're in great riches, you know, like in um, like Russian royalty. Anyway, um, but they were st- it was my cousin's house. I know, I know which cousin. And... Um, so that was that, and oh, and then I had Helena with me, and um, I went out into you know onto the side of a hill, and you know where I was walking up the hill before, but it's a slightly different hill, and I saw a Kia, which I've got a Kia Carnival. I've got a Kia Carnival for what it's worth, but I knew it wasn't mine, but I just wanted to go. And I had Elena with me and I got her to hop in and I said, I'll just try my key. And the key worked. So I drove it up the hill. You know, it was a grassy sort of hill and got to the top of the hill where there was a station, you know, um, a train station. So hence trains, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I was thinking, I've got to get back to Melbourne. And... Uh, and I got to the top of the hill and there were a couple of bikes there and there were two bikes over the train lines just parked there. And I went, I was, oh, I got to the top of the hill and then I said no to Helena um, because what I was thinking as I was driving up the hill, I could say that I thought it was my car. You know, and and I said to myself, if anyone asks, um, I'll say, look, my key worked. And... So I thought it was my car, but um, it had a kind of something strange with the bonnet, you know, like it was damaged or something. And then I, th- and I was thinking, of course, you know, anyone would know that I would have noticed that. Anyway, I got to the top of the hill and I said, "Hop out, Helena. We can't, you know, we can't use this car." You know, and I said, "Let's let's leave it. Let's just leave it parked up the top of the hill and lock it up." Um, and she thought that was hilarious. Uh, because, you know, whoever it was, it was still in sight from where it was before, but it was about sort of 100 metres up, you know. Uh, there was only, there was hardly any cars around, so, 
you know, it was just a big open field. And I said, that would be hilarious. They won't know how it got up there, whoever owns it. And then got onto the tram track, train track, and I, then I thought, we'll catch a train. For some reason, I only had Helena there. And there were two bikes over the tracks. And I thought to myself, the train's going to hit those. And yet, they were very much locked up and all that sort of stuff, like sitting there as if they've been sitting there forever. So I thought, maybe there's no trains coming on this track. And then I actually looked at the tracks, and I saw they were silver. And I knew that... Um, Tracks go rusty if there's been no trains for a while. So I said, no, there are trains that come along here, but maybe not today. And I said, I won't touch the bike because I was already feeling nervous having touched the car. So I said, I'll just leave those bikes there because, you know, leave things as you find them. And then I walked off and then went down the hill on the other side. There were no trains inside. And then uh, I did see, um, and then suddenly um, I was with Nicole and not Helena. And I saw, um, I'm sure it was a fictitious train that I've had in another dream. A long, long time ago, I had a dream about Puffing Billy. And after you've gone on Puffing Billy, there was a little, um, a funny little train, or not even a train, but a thing you sit on, um, you know, like a child's train uh, that you have in fairs, shows, sometimes and you used to, in my other dream you catch that to you know, to a little dinky station and then you hop on this other train which is a bit more like a real train but it's still an old-fashioned one um and you just sit on the sideboards until finally you come to another station then there's real trains you know so that that was the road that was the way to come out of Puffing Billy in that other dream. In real life, there's a real train up to Belgrave where the Puffing Billy is. But, you know, right now, uh, I was um, I was saying to Nicole, there might be a train coming soon. We can catch that into work. She had to go into work and I had to go back to Essendon. And, and then suddenly, as I was even saying that, oh, I noticed some people on the platform already. And... Um, I said, quick, there is a train, you know. And we sort of ran and we... And then I saw the train coming. It was that funny little train, you know, really long, like almost like the sort that blokes sit on, you know, those miniature trains, That's, a, but a bit bigger than that. And then um, the train came. We ended up inside the carriage. And then someone raced Nicole to the good seat, um, now, that wasn't, I didn't realise you could hop in the train when it was coming. It wasn't the sort of train you could hop on. It was the sort of train you hopped on the side of. But by this stage, it was a train you could hop in. And um, well, I can remember she had dark skin and she was laughing and she said, I beat you. And then she started chatting uh, to Nicole. And Nicole was chatting to her and it seemed fairly normal. The seats were all over the place, you know, almost like a lounge. Look, it was a train, but, you know, they were all over the place and... This is reminiscent of, reminiscent of some other dream I had another time. Um, and, uh, and in that dream I had to, I ended up on a sort of goods carriage in between the engine, it was a steam engine, and the carriages, and that one went forever too. But anyway, forget that dream. Um, that was ages ago, I'm surprised I can remember it. Remember it. Um, 
anyway, uh, so she was talking to her, but then suddenly I was um, with Helena again, and I was trying to get Helena back to Melbourne, but then suddenly, I, and I was talking to someone, and then Helena wasn't there, and I sort of half panicked, but calmly, you know, so I said, righto, and I walked to the front of the carriage, uh, because I knew she had to be in the carriage somewhere, I was looking for her blonde hair, and I said, no, so very systematically I started walking back, um, and that's all I can remember of that, and I think that sort of segment stopped, then I ended up back in near the city, and I was still trying to get Nicole to work, and then I, um, I ended up over near, and I'm started, starting to get phasey what happened there, but I was near, I was in an area, and it was all carnival again, and there were Pakistanis uh, on a train, on a little toy train, I was still trying to get to Essendon. I was on the other side of the city over near Telstra Dome by then. Um, and that is reminiscent of another dream too. You know, this little sort of area I was in, halfway between Essendon and the city. Um, and none of the trains were normal trains. It was all weird. And I was just trying to get back to Essendon. And I think I was thinking of just walking. Um, and because I looked at these Pakistanis on this strange little train, and there was a community centre there, and and I just said, no, I'll never get home with you people. And, uh, and then, that's the end. Now, if I quickly thought I could, I'm sure I could think of a lot of other details, but you get the gist, you know, that's enough. But the most extraordinary part of the whole dream was none of that other stuff. I have dreams like that all the time. I just couldn't get home. Um, but I have dreams like that all the time. That, that, all of that was nothing. The one part of all of that dream was that I, the lucid part where I knew I was in a dream and I was walking up that hill and it was a long sequence, you know, like I, I walked very slowly up the hill and there were people everywhere. And I was listening to my music on my phone in my bed. And I knew I was doing that. And then I said to myself, take this in. You, know, you are creating all of this, all of these people. And, they f and I said to myself, you all feel so real. You know, it was amazing. And I was saying, I created all of this. Yeah. Um created all these people and that seagull and um and I can even remember the trees on the top of the hill, sort of gum trees. Um it almost looked like an American scene on a movie, but it was Australia. Um and um it was pretty open and a beautiful day and um that's that. Yeah. Do you know what I'm surprised? I didn't die you know, on the spot. I'm just joking there. But, you know, you can imagine me getting to the top of the hill and a lucid dream and then suddenly that's the world I'm in. I'm only thinking this right now. I didn't think that before. This is just coming into my head now. But, you know, I could have walked to the top of the hill and um, 
Yeah, someone could have met me there, you know. Um, someone who's already dead, you know, could, you know, maybe dad was there or something, you know. Like, say, good day, dad. You know, it would have been normal, and it absolutely would have been as normal as anything, and I would have been in another world. Um, but it was very, very real. I could feel the breeze. And I remember um, sniffing to see if I could smell things because I knew that in dreams you're not supposed to be able to smell things and I couldn't quite smell anything. But I think I was thinking to myself, no, I am smelling stuff on the breeze. But it's just faint, that's all. And then I'm not sure whether I could smell anything. Um, but definitely there was a breeze. I wouldn't say that it was blowing my hair or anything like that, but I could feel a very soft breeze. And... Um, and I, could, and I could describe all the faces and that man with the bowl hat. He wasn't the only one with the bowl hat. He was some kind of Eastern European. It wasn't a bowl hat in the English sense. It was kind of a stupid hat, you know, you know a sort of traditional um, hat, you know, um, which probably doesn't even exist in real life. And people were dressed in all sorts of different ways. It was very much like a carnival or anything like that. But, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, I can imagine just dying there. Um, the funny thing is, though, um, I was listening to my Vivaldi. I didn't know it was Vivaldi at the time. But when I woke up, I quickly checked my phone. It was Vivaldi. It was just piano. Um, and, uh, yeah, all right, I'll leave it at that.